Would you take God's word and turn to Galatians chapter 2. For those that are visiting with us, whether online or in person, we've been involved in a series in the book of Galatians, and if you want to catch up, you can go back and listen to past sermons. This morning we're at Galatians 2, verses 1 through 5. You know, one of the questions that people have been asking me over the last year is how do we navigate as Christians the chaos of our times? And what they really mean is, one, how do we understand it? Two, how do we make sense out of it? And three, how do we know what to do? Now, of course, in America, for whatever reason, we think that the chaos of our times is the exception. By that I mean, this has never happened before in the history of humanity. It's never been this way. Well, we need to change our reality, don't we? I think about my friends back in the, I guess it's the early 2000s in Zimbabwe who lived under the dictator Mugabe. We talk about inflation today being 8%. Inflation in Zimbabwe when visited one time was 100 million percent. Uh, If you didn't know I'm really wealthy, I said because I'm a trillionaire. I have a $100 trillion bill for Zimbabwe. It's real. You ask what it's worth, I think they're going for about eight bucks on eBay right now. Uh, When I was in Zimbabwe, they would use this for toilet paper because it was cheaper than buying a roll of toilet paper. So it really didn't matter. School teachers made $20 million a year. Well, think about that. If $100 trillion didn't buy anything, what did it matter? You know, Paul lived in a very chaotic time. It's called Rome. And there was persecution. There was unspeakable evil in the name of civility. There's accusations. There's blame. And again, I I think we think when we read Rome, it can never happen to us. But it's in the midst of this chaos that Paul continues to give his defense of the gospel. And again, he reiterates this in chapter 2. If you lose the truth of the gospel, your freedom's gone. You're enslaved to something far worse than your government. Truth is gone. You're going to live by lies. That destroys life. God's power is gone. And you'll not be able to live with grace and mercy in the midst of chaos. And the chaos will consume you. So let's look at our text. Now... You'll quickly note this is not a passage that's used for weddings. When I visit homes and churches and Sunday school rooms, I've never seen the scripture from these texts on the walls. I mean, I have yet to see someone in their home where it says Titus was not forced to be circumcised. You just don't see it. And yet it's there. And yet it's recorded for all of mankind to read which means it's important. We have to ask the question, why? And so Paul says, there's one truth I want to drive home that's absolutely critical, and this is where we're headed this morning, this particular one truth. Follow with me. You can follow with me. Your Bibles in the pews are on the screen. We're going to start at verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a relation that was set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential. 
the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had run in vain, had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. This is God's word. Now last week, Pastor Chris talked about Paul, about who he was, about where he's now and how this take place, about his calling to share the gospel. And you know, we talk a lot about the gospel. We talk a lot about truth, even in our current culture. But I want to use a different word this morning to kind of parallel along with what Paul's trying to say. I want to use the word doctrine. Now, Paul says there's one doctrine, there's one truth that's absolutely critical. And he says we do this because, look at verse 5 again, so that the truth or the doctrine of the gospel might be preserved for you. Why? Because you look at the last verses, because there's people out there that want to enslave you. There's people that Paul talked about in chapter 1, and his desire was to deliver us from the present evil in this age. And he says we walk away from the doctrine of the gospel. It's not good. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 5 and then 7, just follow with me on the screen. Paul says this, having the appearance of godliness, this is what happens when you walk away with the gospel. You have the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Think about that. Knowing the specific doctrine, but it not infiltrating your life to the point God is active. Then later in verse 7, always learning, never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. So you can go to all the Sunday school classes, you can hear all the sermons, you can go to all the concerts, you can do all this kind of stuff. But it's never going to be part of who you are. I mean, that's why this doctrine of the gospel is critical. Think about it. Ever learning but not understanding. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Now, put this in the context of one of the marks of our culture. I've noticed over the last 10 years that people desire spirituality. You talk to most anybody, they want to be spiritual without doctrine, truth, or theology. They want spirituality with their truth. I talk to people all the time, they want intimacy without bringing the entire life into a relationship with God. And so while our heart, because we're made in the image of God, still desires this, we want to play not by his rules, but by our rules. And that then converts itself to another gospel. Let me illustrate this with our view on marriage today. Some years ago, the Supreme Court took away any definition of marriage, which left marriage with a void. If you've been following some of what's been happening lately, the government now wants to codify a definition of marriage. They wanted to bring it into federal law. And it's called the Respect for Marriage Act. They keep changing the name of it. The new one is Respect for Marriage Act. And of course, if it's federal law, you violate federal law, there's an offense. And they have yet to determine what the punishment will be if you violate their Respect for Marriage Act. They did put in a religious clause to appease some people, but the religious clause, when you read it, has no teeth. 
And what it really means is that they can do whatever they want to you if you don't obey this law. But let's look at how we live marriage. You know, government's trying to do this, but let's look at what we are actually living. I read an article this past week. It was November 17th, 2022, called The Death of Marriage is Killing America. In this article, they said the rates of marriage since 1970 is down 60%. They said couples who choose to have kids is down. And translating to numbers, here's what they said. 33% of people today will never marry. Think about that. They said 25% of people will never choose to have children. We're not talking about the people that struggle with infertility and due to other kinds of things. We're talking about people who just say, you know what? I don't want to get married. I don't want to have kids. And yet... People want the physical, emotional aspects of marriage without the whole life commitments. And we live in a relationship without the rules of God. In society, which sexual freedom is seen as the highest priority, monogamy cannot flourish. I mean, that's part of the doctrine that's being pushed today. And all this impacts families. Parents are not raising their children in the context of a committed, loving relationship. And there's a price to pay for this lie. So people today, here's what I hear all the time. I want intimacy with God, but I don't want the doctrine. I don't want the submission. I don't want the rules. I don't want to surrender my will. I don't like all this obey stuff. I don't like Christian ethics. I can do without that, but I want to be intimate with God. And we see this with the church that now is departing from key and critical doctrines to more enlightened. It's called progressive theology view of scripture and Jesus. And one of the critical phrases is being used, and I hear this so often now, if Jesus were alive today, here's what he would believe. And we make Jesus into our own image. And that's the height of arrogance. So you hear things like this, and I hear this when I sit with other church leaders. Well, the Old Testament is no longer relevant. The New Testament didn't go far enough because if Jesus didn't Jesus didn't have enough time. If he was here longer, here's where he would move it, and it should be. But everyone wants spirituality. C.S. Lewis commenting about this whole idea of doctrine and truth and theology. He says this, what is your theology? It's a map. Now, I'm going to push that analogy, and I realize every analogy has its flaws, but let me push it for a moment. When I went to Africa the first time to Zimbabwe, when we traveled, we needed a map. Now, there was no service, and by map, I mean one of those paper things, sheets of colored paper with various roads and landmarks. Okay, some I realize you're saying, what's that? Go to a museum, you'll find one. <laughs> and of course, in Zimbabwe, because it was really not really marked out well, if you had to go around one, you had to kind of find your way around, so you better knew what was north, south, east, west, because if you didn't, you'd never find the main road again. So in Zimbabwe, we were in Bulaway. If we wanted to go to Big Falls, we'd have to open the map and follow the roads to get there. And of course, the person sitting next to you is the one who read the map, not some GPS voice that tells you where to go. <laughs> now, take that map for a moment. If I open the map, put it on the ground, stood in Big Falls, on the map while eating a sandwich, it'd be crazy for me to say, I had lunch at Big Falls. To find Vic Falls and arrive there, I had to follow the map. 
The map is not Victoria Falls, but I'll never find Victoria Falls without the map. Now, I know the illustration breaks down because some people say, well, you know, I don't need a map, and through experimentation, I'll finally get there. Okay, just leave that out. I get that, but here's my point. Doctrine and theology and truth is the map to find intimacy with God. You can't lay your Bible down, stand on it, and learn it, and say, okay, I'm not going to do anything with it, and therefore I found God. If you do not submit to it, if you don't follow it, if you don't believe it, if you don't live it, you will not get there. It's why scripture is so important. It's why we read it. It's why we study it. I like what some prophets talked about doing. It's why we eat it. We got to digest it. And it's why Paul says the gospel is important. And you cannot alter it. Otherwise, we'll be ever learning and never understanding the power of God. We'll have a form of godliness. And I think in part, it's why we see people leaving their faith. We call it deconstructing their faith today. And it's why churches are moving into a cultural theology that caters to the masses rather than obeying God's word. Now, in this passage, Paul uses two words that characterize activity of other gospel preachers. And their goal is to enslave us. That's what it says. Look at back verse 4. He talks about people who secretly brought in. The word there is infiltrate. It's actually a political word. It means to destroy in a subversive manner. The other word is spy. It's a military word. Infiltrate with the goal of destroying. And, you know, we got nothing new today. That was going on then. It's still going on today. And what he's really saying is this. There's four things that we have to learn about false people. People that try to tell us about another gospel. Here they are. First, they're not what they seem to be. You know, we often use the word being two-faced. You ever hear that? When they're with this person, they're this way. When they're with this person, they're this way. When they're on social media, they're this way. When they're on... Two... They're secretive about their work of disruption. They're subversive. They know because one-on-one behind the scenes, they'll say things like this. Well, you know, don't tell anybody this, but. And they act like you're the only person they told, and yet we know they told at least 20 others. They show their version of events to gain influence. Three, they carried out the destructive mission with a step-by-step plan. They know what they're doing. They want to disrupt disrupt and divide. They want to gain people who are loyal to them. I think about the story back with Moses when he was leading Israel, and there's a group that didn't like the way Moses was leading. His name was Korah, so he got 250 people together to oppose Moses. I don't know if you remember the story. It didn't work out too well. (laughs) Moses said, okay, you're with Korah. Stand on this side. If you're not, stand on this side. And, you know, 250 people is a significant amount of people. And so they stand over there. God causes the ground to open up. They all fall in. The ground shuts. And I can imagine Moses saying, anybody else disagree? (laughs) (laughs) And four, they're an example of the connection between false teaching and unworthy behaviors. You know, false teachers live lives, and they get exposed and what they're doing is wrong, and there's consequences for that. The consequences are division, violence, the consequences of unhealthy competition, you, whatever you want to call it. They're unworthy behaviors. So let's see how this works. 
Back to the text. Paul says in verse 3 that Titus was not circumcised. Titus was part of the mission to the Gentiles. He was a non-Jew. Paul later writes a letter to Titus. Very close relationship. And he says, you know what? This was part of the direct revelation I had. And later, we're going to see next week, he says, the apostles greeted us and accepted us. In other words, they put their stamp of approval on this. But here's the other gospel he was confronting. It's found in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Do you see the problem? Now, here's the one critical doctrine. You've probably been waiting for it. This is what Paul's trying to talk about. Here's the gospel, and this is what he means to say. You are accepted through Jesus Christ plus nothing. Anytime anybody tries to add anything to Jesus Christ, you can write it off. If someone comes up to you and says, listen, you know, if you really want to be saved, you're going to do this. Doesn't matter what this is. It's not the gospel. You are accepted. You can put in there, you are saved. You can put anything you want in there in terms of salvation, but you are accepted through Jesus Christ plus nothing. Say that with me. And use first person, I, okay? I am accepted through Jesus Christ plus nothing. Without this, you'll never know the beauty of God. Without this, you'll never know his peace, joy, and love. Without this, you're going to be ever learning, but never able to come to the power of God that will change your heart. Without this, you'll never find intimacy with God or anything else. And if you lose the truth of the gospel, your freedom's gone, the truth is gone, you're going to live by lies, you're going to be enslaved, chaos will be ensued, and you'll become part of the problem, not the solution. So I think one of the questions we have to look at then is, how do we live a faithful presence in our culture? Because the gospel subverts almost everything going on in our culture. The gospel is a rival narrative when you start looking at what the world is propagating. Again, this is nothing new. This has been going on for generations and centuries. The culture today have different accounts of reality than the gospel does. There's a lot of scripture about this, but let me go to Ephesians chapter 4. I think this will illustrate really well of how we got to think and live out, and I'll give an illustration with this as well. Paul writes this, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. So he's not enslaved to the world, he's enslaved to Jesus Christ who gives him freedom. That's the paradox. I urge you to walk. Now, walk is a lifestyle, it's choices, it's conversations, it's how we work, it's how we vote, it's our free time, it's our vacation, it's everything. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. You've been called to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then he says, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. Ever have to put up with somebody? That's what that means eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. I mean, this is our core vision. It's our calling. Our calling is to live out the gospel. You know, this, this eager to keep the unity of the spirit, John 17, it, it's one of the critical evangelistic virtues we have because Jesus prays that, Father, may they be one as you and I are one so that the world may know 
So our unity is that unique, that different. It causes people to sit up and take notice. It's not like the world's unity that they cluster in tribes of people who agree with them. It's a wide group of people from all spectrums of society, all races, all different opinions that are together there for one single purpose, and that's to bow their knee and worship to a holy God. Amen? Amen. And boy, this is countercultural to our world. I was reading an article this past week of a celebrity that posted their traditional views on marriage and family, and they're going to be creating a TV show along that line. The backlash was fierce. On social media, there was name-calling, bigot, idiots, racists, just because she said, man and woman and kids, <laughs> that's what we're going to put TV narratives together. I'm saying to myself, why are they upset? Because they don't have to watch it. Now, I've seen the same behavior on Facebook over midterm elections. <laughs> yes, I go on sometimes just for humor's sake to watch what people are saying. And they're already going after possible candidates for 2024. I'm thinking, these are Christians who are writing this stuff. I expect it from the non-Christians. Then there's TikTok. TikTok is a China-based organization. And when I read this past week, it shocked me, and I did some verification to back it up. They said that it's the largest news source for those under the age of 30. So if you're 30 and under, a lot of people go to TikTok to get their news. Now think about this. The Communist Party of China is seeing the news getting to our younger generation. This is who they are believing. And by the way, TikTok is now in the list of mental health whatever you call that, listing of things. They labeled it as, get this, they labeled TikTok as digital fentanyl. <laughs> Highly addictive. Enslaving. Now, if you didn't know, just in case you didn't know, China's main source and contribution to our drug system is fentanyl. So the church... We're characterized by unity. Now, that unity is spirit-initiated and it's spirit-driven. See, that's part of our problem because we like to initiate. <laughs> no, it's spirit-initiation-driven. And we live in a culture of division. You can see that because today they want to shut down any conversation and different views through violent words and even actions at times. We no longer have a debate of ideas, not even in the church. David violates the big three, and again, depends how you define these big three. Diversity, equality, and inclusivity, you better not say it, and we pick and choose our truth. And fear is being used to silence people. Even today, if you do not follow a version of truth, then it's going to end not very well for you. Now, I don't know if you saw this, but here's an illustration of this. If you didn't know, we had an election the other week. And both sides agreed on one thing. I don't know if you noticed this. They actually agreed on one thing. Here's what they said. If the other side wins, it'll be the end of America as we know it. They agreed on that. I'm thinking, well, it doesn't matter then because it's the end of America as we know it. 
But, you know, we're using fear to force ideologies on us. Now, let's go back to Paul. Let's go back to Ephesians. And here's what Paul says by these first few verses I read. He says, we have an incredible opportunity to live in a way that will bring people into truth. And if we're going to do that, it begins in our hearts. It begins with humility, gentleness, patience, realizing we're going to disagree and our emotions will be involved. That way we're going to have to bear with one another at times. And we have to live in the unity of the spirit. It cannot be manufactured on a human level. Now, let me illustrate how this works. And of course, I'm going to give you an illustration that I think worked out. (laughs) I hope it did. But we're not going to get this right all the time. The other Saturday, my wife and I had a privilege to attend an event and help that Eileen Emmerich and her husband Zane hosted in Lancaster. It's a free turkey dinner for anyone who came in off the street and stopped in. Of course, the event was really centered around gun violence because her daughter's fiance was killed in a tragic shooting a few years ago. So Bev and I were helping, and of course, events like this, they attract who? Politicians. (laughs) They want to take credit for what somebody else did. And it attracts other leaders in the community. And, of course, they brought their petitions and they brought their little speeches. And that's okay. And they have petitions for what was called, they called common sense gun laws. And uh, I'll be honest, when I see a politician stand up, I get defensive. (laughs) I'm just like, you know, what are you going to tell me? What you think I want to hear. And... You know, they did their speeches, and the one politician sitting at the table waiting for petitions to sign, and someone came over to me and said, listen, why don't I'll take your place, and you go over and sign the petitions. And I said, okay, I'll do that later, but not right now. And so a little bit later, I did that, and they filled me, and I went down and sat with the politician. Now, here's what I said. I said, can we have a conversation about this? Now, my goal was to speak in a way that did not raise the level of tension or conflict. And I said this, you know, I get this. In fact, there isn't anything I disagreed with that you spoke of or even on these petitions. Now, as soon as I said that, he got all excited. You know, he thought he had a convert here. And he said, you know, he goes, we may win the house. If we win the house, we can do so much more because the other party's been stopping us from doing all this stuff. And I looked at him and said, listen, you need to hear from the common person like me about what you just said. And let me say that by asking this question. I said, do you really think it'll make a difference who's in charge? And he looked at me and I says, we don't. And you can have as many gun laws as you want. And I get it. You need those. But until you have a change of heart, until you take violence out of the heart, those who want illegal guns, those who want to do violence, no laws are going to stop them. And I went on to share a little bit my work with sexual abuse victims. And I just said, you know, parents are doing horrible things to kids and there's no guns involved. And I said, listen, I get why you're doing this and someone needs to. And I'm glad it's you and not me. But just know there are those of us working on the issue, on this issue, who are approaching it from a heart issue. And I signed the petitions and he gave me his card in case I need a lawyer for anyone who's caught in the midst of all this chaotic violence. Now, I did make a mistake. I didn't ask him if that was pro bono work or not. I should have. (laughs) I want to say the people I work with aren't going to be able to afford what you charge, but that's another issue. So I use that as an illustration because we have to stay focused on our calling. You know, I let him know, and I gave you the short version of the conversation, that for us, it's Jesus Christ who changes the hearts. And this is where we work. This is where we start. He's the author, finisher of our faith. 
And we must walk into every situation with humility because humility says, I could be wrong. We have to be patient, bearing with those who disagree with us. And we need the Holy Spirit and the unity of the church. That's part of community. It's just not us against them. We need each other. Amen? What I find tragic today is the church has lost its ability to be unified around the cause of the gospel. What we are unified around, and it divides us, is our cause of politics, of ethics, of doctrines. And I see people walking away from basic, essential truths. And what they substitute then is another cause, another gospel. And that never ends well. So our perceptions of reality drive us to division. That's the tragedy I see. The gospel invites us into the light of God's perception of reality. The gospel invites us to teach from the inside out how to love and how to empathy and how to forgive, how to work to restore what sin has broken. And the gospel tells us that we're all guilty, that evil shows itself through broken humanity and that it touches every one of us. And the gospel tells us that we can restore broken hearts that have been corrupted by sin through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The gospel tells us that it can and will deliver us from this present evil. That was chapter one. So this is what's at stake. You cannot mess with the gospel. If you do, everything goes dark. I'm going to call the worship team up. We're going to sing a closing song. As they do, I want to pray with you. Let's pray. Father God, um, forgive us for times that we substitute your gospel for anything else. We get passionate about a lot of different things and May we get passionate about our calling to be unified as a church with different ideas, with different beliefs about so many things, but not about your gospel, not about your word and the importance of that. Help us to take that map you've given to us and follow it because to rabbit trail off another road will end up in a destination that we didn't desire to be. So I do thank you, Lord, that you have died and rose again, that this is all possible. I thank you that we can be here and worship you in spirit and truth. I thank you that we can humbly bow our knees and worship to an odds of one because it's just so awesome to do that. But thank you, Lord. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, because he alone is worthy and he alone has the power that we need. And everyone said, amen. Let's stand as we worship.